Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools, Season 2, Episode 9. My name is Tanisha Williams, and I am happy to serve as your hostess this term. Extra Help was specifically created to serve parents in New York City. An extension of Inside Schools, this podcast is our ongoing conversation with parents, whether we are tackling major headlines in the news, sharing specific resources to get you through the week, or answering your questions as they surface from any of our trending media platforms. Most importantly, this space provides a bit of banter about all things education in New York City. During our meetups, we invite you to elevate your thoughts, concerns, and ideas in hopes of equipping you to be strong advocates, parent activists, and number one, dads, number one, moms, number one, guardians, and all the amazing things that you are. Today is super exciting because I am joined by some of my very best friends with whom I get to interface every single day of the week. We are so blessed and highly favored to have folks from the African-American Policy Forum join us today. We have Saul Kersey, who is a research assistant, Heather Malvo, who's our CRT law clerk, Marina Reyes, who's another research assistant, and then me. And today's topic is critical race theory. The title of the show is CRT and CRSC. What does it all mean? So let's jump right in, my friends, and start with the statement of the problem. So here's the thing. Critical race theory is all over the news. We've seen folks get angry in school board meetings. We have seen an uptick in searches of critical race theory on Google. We have seen folks attempt to define critical race theory. We are seeing critical race theory manifest itself in parent meetings at schools and curriculum conversations. So I think we got to just take a step back to figure out what in the world critical race theory is and how is it that we're having these conversations in primary education. Let's head to the news. I think I have three articles, no, four articles, actually, that we are going to chat through today, parents. And the first one came out on November 15th out of U.S. News. The title is Parents Protesting Critical Race Theory, Identify Another Target, Mental Health Problems. So let me pull out some highlights from this article. In this article, we have a slew of parents who are a bit upset, and they are saying that the mental health programs or some of that social emotional learning is a form or a ploy or a plot to brainwash children with liberal values and trample over parents' rights. They are saying that the surveys that are sometimes given to students, and schools are famous for surveys, we run them all throughout the year, the surveys are collecting information and they are being used as an inroad to figure out what's going on with kids. Here's a direct quote from one of the parents. It took a turn in the summer of 2020 after the tragedy of George Floyd's killing, said Nomani, leader of Parents Defending Education, an activist group that criticizes school diversity and equity efforts. After that, she said, social emotional learning, quote, became a vehicle for this quote unquote social justice activism and the indoctrination of controversial ideas related to race, sexuality, and even gender and identity. And this one's super interesting. I'm going to get through a few before I turn to our guests for conversations. But this one was super interesting to me because I remember having a conversation with a group of parents about some of the the pieces that the students read. And in one particular instance, these particular parents were a bit upset that the main character 
was a male character who wanted to paint his nails blue and he wore blue was his favorite color and he wore a blue suit and the parents didn't understand why this male character had fingernail polish and it became quite the big deal. And I think they ended up pulling that book off the shelves, but let's move on and see some more of what's going into the news. And then I can't wait to hear from my friends at AAPF. So our second news article, critical race theory debate hits New York City public schools. This came out of Chalkbeat on July 13th. Two big points from here. Although CRT is not taught in public schools, the city recently pledged multiple efforts to create a culturally responsive curriculum. In July, uh, the city announced that $202 million would be used to standardize English and math instruction through its universal mosaic curriculum, which is meant to represent the diversity of the city. And the city council recently approved $10 million to fund a Black Studies course. This course, among others, will supplement or it will highlight LGBTQ plus voices in addition to um, some unheard voices. This was one of my favorite articles. Not only did it pertain specifically to New York, but our friend from last week, Zakia Ansari, was quoted in this piece. And Zakia talked about that $23 million to support anti-bias education for city's teachers and how they have done some work to really forward that. The third article, NYC Moms Coordinating to Fight Critical Race Theory in Schools, came out of the New York Post on August 21st. The major headline here, and I think the first line of the article states, these moms are preparing for war. So this is specific to New York City. And this is a group of mothers in Manhattan who call themselves the Undercover Moms, or the OG Parent Task Force, or the Cabinet, these folks are upset with what's going on and what they have characterized as critical race theory in schools. And they said, quote, we need to start putting the heat on and it's going to be through the media. And our next line of attack will be shaming these schools so much that donors start putting up a fight, one mom said. All right, so there's a lot of vitriol going on out here. And our last article before we jump into conversation, this one's a little older, but I, I did, we love our friends over at Ed Week. So I did specifically want to pull this one to give um, an antithetical point of view or, or a different point of view. So this article is entitled, No Critical Race Theory Isn't Quote Anti-American. So the two main points that I pulled from this is that critical race theory, which presupposes that racism is embedded within society and institutions is not propaganda or anti-American. It is a toolkit for examining and addressing racism and other forms of marginalization. Rather than rejecting this toolkit, the Department of Education should ensure principals and teachers learn how it can be applied to address longstanding educational inequities. And the second piece I pulled from this is reads education scholars Gloria Latson-Billings, William Tate, and others have noted that critical race theory calls upon principals and teachers to examine how history, politics, culture, and economics inform our understanding of race, racism, and other forms of marginalization. So my friends, I quickly took us through four articles that all kind of surface critical race theory in the news. What say you? And tell us a little bit about the work that you actually do at the African American Policy Forum and how it's all interconnected. At AAPF, I am a critical race theory law clerk. 
and that involves some work on the legislative bans that we're seeing across the country um, in different states um, that are banning critical race theory um, or what the uh, right wing is labeling as critical race theory um, in K through 12 schools. And so that means anything relating to racial and gender justice or, you know, the abstract of things that make students feel uncomfortable through uh, all of these, these bands, um, tracking these bands, and then also paying attention to giving teachers the tools that they need to know what their civil rights are as they're teaching um, in this era of racial backlash. Spelling out um, whether or not these laws will penalize you in some way or what they actually mean when you come to teach in the classroom. And so I'm also tracking the laws that are coming down the pipeline as well and translating that into layman's terms to make sure that teachers know their rights to teach the truth. Thank you so much for that, Heather. So just so that I'm clear, there are some things popping off in the legislation that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Specifically, we can pull up some of that New York legislation, but a lot of your work centers around making sure that teachers are equipped to kind of handle, as per one of these articles, the mom said, we're going to turn up the heat so that teachers are kind of equipped to know how to interface with and how to handle what's coming their way. Thank you so much for that and the work that you do. Saul, Tell the good people some of the work that you do. Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having us, T, first of all. Um, you know, a lot of my work mirrors what Heather does. You know, <laughs> we're trying to see what's happening right now, what's coming down the pike, and then simultaneously trying to equip educators with the tools they need to just understand what's going on around them and what's being done to their classrooms and kind of figuring out, you know, can I do this anymore? Do I need to take this down? And, and, and ranging from little questions like that up to the things we've seen with educators being fired or having contracts not renewed. So there, there's, you know, those huge overarching questions like that, but then there are these more nuanced questions as well that, you know, we're having to figure out quickly how to equip educators to react in the moment and how to respond and continue creating a, an inclusive and welcoming education environment. I feel like both of you have outlined for me the fact that things are happening such that educators are being impacted, right? And even if we pull out some of what these news articles shared with us, we have some angry moms, particularly in New York City, who said, I, I don't like the way this is rolling out. More, more recently, we have some moms, I think nationwide, or not just moms, but some parents nationwide who are saying, hey, we don't like these surveys, and we don't like some of the changes that we've seen since the summer of 2020 in this era of social justice activism. So I would love to hear your opinions on how we got to this place, right? Like how we went from teaching and learning and a series of standards that we want to provide for students in school to this notion of, oh, well, let's look at our citizenship. Let's look at how we treat people. Let's perhaps even call that or encapsulate that under social justice education and how it is that people can be upset about it. What are your thoughts there? This is just one piece of a coordinated disinformation campaign by far right-wing folks that are using education simply as a battleground to further promote division amongst folks in the United States. And race is a very salient, pertinent topic for that. It's easy 
for them to latch onto and for them to take up as a rallying cry with this, you know, anti-critical race theory stuff going on. This started based off of Christopher Rufo deciding that um, he was going to take critical race theory, a term and a theory that he knows nothing about, and he really doesn't care about the definition, right? And how to weaponize that, how to take everything that um, is relating to race, gender, and the justice and civil rights um, that comes along with those categories in this country. He took that and decided that that was going to be this salient soundbite, right? That they could use to kind of rally anger and fear up the base to have this as a rally cry for the upcoming elections, right? Because there's a lot at stake. And so how do we amp up this fear? How do we get people pivoting to voting for the Republican Party, right? For right-wing extremist candidates and labeling everything critical race theory seemed like a good plan and it has worked. And I think it's important to mention that These current state-by-state strategies to suppress voting rights, protests, and ideas are interconnected. They pose this urgent threat, and it's a continued threat to the function of America's democracy. So, Heather, you said that voter suppression and what's going on in education and what's going on with curriculum are all interconnected. And I would love it if you just dug a little deeper for our parents and listeners so that they can, I think a lot of stuff happens in the news and a lot of words get thrown at folks. And I just want to make sure that it is as easy to understand as possible. So tell us plainly, how are these things connected and what does it really mean for a parent? So these things are connected. The the money that's behind these campaigns for critical race theory and the threat that it poses is the same dark money that's behind voter rights suppression. The idea of stopping people from protesting, stopping people from really expressing uh, what their freedom of speech rights are, that they have the right to protest in these streets. Um, about things that they see as wrong. They have a right to protest and also demand more from the people that represent them in government. And I think the reason why parents should be afraid of this is because it's, it's really important that we teach our children all of our histories and how this ongoing legacy of inequality affects our country today teaching our children the truth about our past and present just simply fosters understanding and empathy to create a bridge to unite us. We need to make sure that our students and our our children have an accurate U.S. history and civics to ensure they have the tools to succeed and build a more inclusive and equitable future. And that includes being able to act Access their civil rights of voting and protesting and being able to critically think and analyze the history of this country and how it is impacting their future and their current reality. You said what she said. And I and I, I would just add to that, I would say an accurate history is one without intentional omissions. And a lot of that we're seeing in um, like the book bans and the banning of the 1619 project. So much so that, and Saul, I know that, well, both of you, I think, or all of us actually, I think, um, spent some time looking at the legislation, but it's like, how in the world did an entire written 
body make it into state legislation, right? Such that it's being forbidden to be taught. And how, how do we get to this place? So I want to pivot us a bit to some research. So the Black Education Research Collective out of Teachers College at Columbia forwarded a report or they published a report within the last um, six months or so. The report is entitled Black Education in the Wake of COVID-19 and Systemic Racism Toward a Theory of Change and Action. So this center is actually led by our friend Sonia Douglas Horsford, who is a genius. Um, and there were some definite findings and some recommendations that came out of this report. So I want to share some of the findings with you and some of those recommendations before we get into our questions from families. So first things first, the five findings. The first was that COVID-19 and systemic racism had a disproportionate and traumatic impact on Black students, families, and communities. The second, increased racial trauma and mental health issues will have major implications for teaching and learning post-pandemic. The third, schools are ill-equipped to meet the social, emotional, and academic needs of Black students. The fourth, failed responses to COVID-19, police brutality, and the insurrection at the Capitol have further reduced Black community trust in schools and public institutions. And the fifth, education leaders and policymakers at the local, state, and federal levels must be held accountable for meeting the educational needs of Black students. So here's a huge part of what we get out of these findings. The need for social emotional learning. Specifically, I think, centered in New York City, we said at the end of COVID-19, we are going to pour money into our social emotional development. But now we're seeing critical race theory being tethered to social emotional development and growth. So I think one of the key points pulled out of that, um, that first article that I shared was this thought around the surveys and the data collection around how folks are doing. If we know that COVID-19 impacted all of us if we look along racial lines, the impacts were varied. And if we have data that substantiates that some folks of a certain race were impacted far greater than some others, and we say that we know these impacts are going to, the impacts are going to impact the way that those students are able to interface with education or learn, the question becomes, what then is wrong with the survey to gather that information so that we can work to meet those students' needs, right? So the long and short is that some of the research that's coming out of Berg is specifically telling us that our New York City kids, specifically our Black New York City students, have suffered through COVID-19, and they will need an increase in social-emotional supports. So it's incumbent upon the school system to ensure that we're thinking through that and definitely providing some provisions along those lines. Now, this report also gave some recommendations. The first recommendation, protect and defend the rights of Black students to receive an appropriate and equitable education in a safe, welcoming, and affirming learning environment. The second, invest in counseling, psychological, and mental health services and supports to address racial trauma and its impact on Black students and educators post-pandemic. The third, provide professional development to teachers and school leaders on how to meet the social, emotional, and academic needs of Black students. The fourth, monitor Modernize curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment to develop the academic ability of students and prepare them for civic life by teaching the truth 
The fifth, invest in the preparation, cultivation, and mentoring of culturally relevant ed educators who are called to the profession and endorsed by the families they serve. And the last, restore and rebuild community trust by engaging Black students, families, and educators, researchers, and leaders as experts and equal partners in education. Now, this report was just specific to Black students in NYC, but that does not mean that Black students in NYC are the only ones who are hurting. So I turn to you again, my friends, um, given this little bit of research and given again how critical race theory is really used as a tool or a prism to examine the ways in which racial disparities or disproportionality surface. I turn to you because we have some questions from families. And that very first one is, well, what is critical race theory? And I think, Heather, you're going to walk us through a, a bit of a definition so that folks can can really start to, to, to hear where the rubber meets the road. So, Heather, parents have asked, what is critical race theory? How would you respond to that? So critical race theory is a framework that helps us understand how race and racism shape some of our laws, policies, and structures despite civil rights reforms. So basically what that means is it allows us to look at systemic racism, the foundation of race and racism in this country, and how from the history of it has affected the modern day. Looking at um, systemic racism does not mean, although people think it does, um, one of the biggest lies in this coordinated disinformation campaign is that critical race theory is about labeling individual people racist. It is not about that. It is really looking at how the foundations of this country have created inequality and inequitable conditions for those that were enslaved in this country and their ancestors coming out of slavery and how that has impacted their lives to the present day. And so critical race theory is just saying that we need to learn from our past mistakes, right? And not to repeat them in our future. Wow, that was pretty concise and pretty digestible. So I thank you for that, Heather. I have another question that um, was elevated from our parents and it's around their concerns, right? They're like, well, okay, I have heard that critical race theory is not taught in K-12 schools. I get a sense that some people think that critical race theory is bad. I shouldn't want it. But then I get a sense that some other people say that people don't even know what critical race theory is. Heather, I just heard you tell me what critical race theory is. So as a parent, what is my takeaway? What what do I need to be concerned with was actually the question. So Saul, I'm going to pivot that to you. Where should parents focus their concern? What should they be concerned with? The number one concern for any parent is always the trial. And I mean, that, that's what this is about. This is about activating parents to really hone in with a laser focus on their child's education, to know what's going on and to get activated and engaged in the community. That's what we have to see. We have to see parents who are wanting their children to be taught the truth because we know when we teach our children the truth about our past and our present, we're fostering an understanding and empathy that creates a bridge to unite us. This is how we build that inclusive just future we want. I said this the other day, I would rather be told or taught 
how to think instead of told what to think. And so by giving our students and our children and just the citizens of this country the knowledge in its purest form of our history and, and where we are today, we're just putting the evidence there, right? We're laying it out. And then we allow them to come to their conclusions. We allow them to know their thoughts, their opinions, and their critical analysis of what has happened and how that connects, right? And that comes with a little bit of guidance, but um, it also is just very important for children to learn how and be taught how to critically think and analyze for themselves and not to just be, you know, this open brain that we just input things inside of and we close it and they they go on in the world. Um, and so parents should be very concerned if their children are not allowed to have all of the pieces of the puzzle to come to their own conclusions. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. That's a William Butler Yates quote. Um, and it is one that I have used to kind of fuel my my practice as a pedagogue. So yes, Heather, thank you so much for that. Saul, I think you had something that you wanted to add. Oh, I think Heather, you know, did a more than good job. <laughs> I, I I do want to go back a little bit to 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 the Burke research that you talked about, um, Tanashia, because I think that one of the quotes that stood out in my mind when you were reading that is from Frederick Douglass when he said that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. You know, I think if we're not paying attention to how current realities, especially COVID-19 and systemic racism are impacting and traumatically impacting disproportionately our Black students, families, and communities, you know, we're creating a system that is broken, right? We're not, we're not giving them a solid foundation to be strong citizens of this country. We're not giving them a foundation to be productive and to really have a childhood. You cannot give someone their childhood back. It would behoove us to make sure that we are giving children the opportunity to not just have equal access, but to have equitable access. And I think sometimes people get that confused. You know, equality um, does not get us where we need to be and where we want to be. It just creates this even playing field when others have advantages from before we equalized the field, before we evened it out. Equity meets people where they are and gives them the tools in which they need to succeed to catch up to their peers. Um, and we know by looking at the history of this country that Black students, families, and communities have to catch up from the history of enslavement. And we're not there yet. And that's why critical race theory is still being critical of the systemic racism in this country because civil rights reforms did not correct everything. Civil rights reforms corrected whites only and black only signs and you know other racial markers and indicators of who could use and have access to what. It removed that, right? Which was a start. We're not trying to say that wasn't something that was beneficial and wasn't a victory because it was, but that was the evening out of the playing field, right? Right now, we're at the moment as to where, how do we build up those that never had the even playing field before civil rights reform? This is where we are. This is what equity is. And parents who may not have a Black child 
should definitely be concerned about allowing their children and others' children to have the same things, but to also be given the tools that they need to be able to be successful and to have the same opportunities. Parents of a child who is not of color, it's vital to your child's education too. I mean, whether you look at it from the pragmatic standpoint, if I want to raise my child to be an independent thinker who can analyze the situation about their life and come to their own independent conclusion, go look at what Ivy League first-year English books are. Go, go read that list and then see if you see any similarities paralleled in the book bans that are being either put already in place or are coming down the pipe. You're going to see a lot of overlap there. So if you don't care just from, you know, what would it would take to raise a, a functioning, well-adjusted, critical thinker in this hell of a world we're in right now, if you're going to be selfish about it, it still affects you too. That's important. And another thing that I think Heather really home is that, you know, critical race theory is hard. It is damn hard. You know, and, and, and we, we talk about, we often talk about race inequality separate from inequality based on gender or class or sexuality or immigration status. But what's missing is how some folks are subject to all of that. And, and the, the experience isn't just the sum of those parts. It's not a mathematic equation where plus one because you're black, plus two because you're an immigrant, you know, plus one and a half because you're queer and it outputs a number of oppression. That's not how this works. That's not how any of it works. And that's what makes critical race theory hard because we're looking at people's individualized lived realities. And those are unique to each of us. And that's why we're fighting back against these bands because when all of us have access to all of the information, we understand how we all relate to each other. So we just need to figure out how to foster these honest classroom conversations to have productive debates about structural inequalities. Again, this isn't about individual racism. This is about how the systems in place disadvantage and disfavor people groups. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so let me get into our third question from that was elevated from parents. And that is, has anything really changed for my kids in school? And, and to that, I feel like I'll take that one a bit because I know Saul and Heather, neither of you are local to New York, um, but we appreciate your, your nationwide expertise. But specifically, one thing we know is that culturally responsive sustaining education is a part of the excellence and equity campaign that was forwarded by de Blasio. So we've been talking about CRSC for years, for all of uh, de Blasio's tenure, and we have seen how culturally responsive sustaining education has been supported through professional development and through some curriculum adoption. Moving forward, as, as kind of highlighted, or I think a, a bit as a result of some of the res research that came out of Burke, the Black Educator Research Collective, and that specific report, we are moving toward a place where New York will have its first Black Studies course. And also, we are seeing an increase among schools with the ways in which they, they engage 
in the curriculum. Our friends at NYU Metro Center have given us a toolkit to assess the curriculum that's happening at schools. And I know that we have spent quite a few of our episodes talking about how you as parents can dig into the curriculum to find out what's being taught and to share your opinions with it, either with your parent coordinator at the school or the principal directly. And we also lastly know that our current chancellor, Misha Porter, is an advocate of the Mosaics curriculum that will be implemented, I think, by 2023. So we are looking forward, looking toward a place where the curriculum specifically in New York City is becoming more inclusive, is intentionally including some of those voices that had not been heard or were not seen throughout the curriculum. And I think in terms of changes that will happen for students, per all of the points that have been made during this episode, it, it puts us in a place to digest varying points of view and then to think critically about those points of view and the experiences of different Americans. All right, so parents, I am going to move us into our takeaways and resources because we always like to leave you with a few gems. And one piece that we definitely want to leave you with is our introduced New York State legislation. So we danced a bit around, and I think we will have to just have a completely separate episode on some of the language used in current legislation. But we danced a bit around legislation and some of those impacts in varying states. Our state does have an introduced bill in assembly. It was introduced by A. Schmidt, uh, Fitzpatrick, Lemons, Angelino, Blankenbush, McDonough, Matt, McTello, Byrne, and Gallahan. And the reason why I say their names is because I looked up all those people and I looked up the areas that they preside over. And one thing that all those areas have in common is a high number of white Americans who reside there. So we have a bill that was put forward by eight or so folks. And this bill reads, it's an act to amend the education law in relation to prohibiting instruction on critical race theory. So this particular bill pulls out four different parts of change. And the first is to establish or permit a course or curriculum that teaches individuals to bear collective responsibility for any actions committed previously by other members of the same race. The second requires students to take part in a course that teaches individuals to feel guilt, discomfort, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress due to an individual's race or religion. The third, requires students to take part in a course that teaches individuals to discriminate against or receive differential treatment based solely on or partially on the individual's race. And the fourth, we talked about this a little earlier, requires students or faculty to learn or study the 1619 project. So the reason why I pulled this out, um, one, is because it's specific to New York, and two, is because despite the, the bit of ambiguity in those first three, that fourth point clearly says don't teach 1619 in the schools. So this will be really interesting in regard to us moving forward with a Black Studies curriculum and our culturally responsive sustaining education, because 1619, as per this introduced legislation, it hasn't been adopted yet, but this introduced bill could forbid that 1619 project from being taught statewide. So that's one gem that I'm going to leave you with parents to read at your leisure. 
And the second, I think I'm just going to drop a few things by some critical race theorists and the folks who were at that original convening. And the reason why I think that's important is because there are a lot of folks who are talking about critical race theory right now in the news, a lot of folks who are attempting to define it, a lot of folks who are attempting to speculate on what it means. And quite honestly, I think that your, your best bet is to go to the folks who wrote about it initially and absorb some of their words and absorb some of their intentionality so that you can make an informed decision for yourself. Um, I think that, Saul, you have something you want to share? I was going to add on to that, that little takeaway about reading something by an early foundational critical race theorist. It's going to be hard and difficult, but, but the important thing is to sit there in that mess. Take the time. Sit there in that confusion. Sit there in the lack of understanding sit there and uh, I don't know how this makes sense or applies to me and work through it. You know, this, uh, if I'm going to give parents a homework assignment, that would be the homework assignment. You know, don't just read the book. Think about it. Think about it in relation to your life, your child's life, your spouse or partner's life, your parents' lives. And then you'll start to kind of see how vital it is. My motto is be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That's the only way you learn. That's the only way you grow. That's the only way you unlearn things that, um, you know, you may have learned that has misguided um, you away from the truth, right? Or the reality of certain lived experiences. So be comfortable being uncomfortable as you sit with this, as Saul has said. I think we teach little kids that um, every time they learn something, their brain grows. And neurologically, that is accurate, right? And it's like um, these synapses start firing and it is active. Learning is active. You feel it. And I can say, Saul, so initially I was like, wait, wait, where are you going with that, Saul? Don't make the people feel like it's inaccessible. But I can say the first time and and I will say that my theoretical framework is critical race theory for my dissertation work. And I thought I understood what it was about. <laughs> and then once I really got into some of those foundational writings, I was like, wait, what? I found that I had to go back and reread a few times. One, because the, the brilliant brains, many of them are legal brains and mine is not. I am but a social scientist. So there were some references that initially I didn't understand. But I, I think, again, when you're thinking, you grow and you learn, I had the Google I had the Google machine. So I was like, let me see what case this is referred to because I don't know what they talking about right now. So I think to kind of do some of that interdisciplinary research and learning where it's like, oh, you're making the point that this surfaced itself in the law, in, in legislation, and this is how it manifests itself in society and community is, is, Definitely along the lines of even that critical thinking that we want for kids, right? Like we want kids to be able to read something that they don't quite get and then use and leverage the tools that they have to gain a deeper understanding. So yes to all of that. I will say that we will definitely drop a few of those seminal pieces in the show notes so that you guys can choose one to kind of kind of study and to, to grapple with. 
So I think that brings us to a close. That is all for this episode, my parents and friends. But guess what? Our engagement does not have to stop here. As always, you can visit us at InsideSchools.org for independent reviews of city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll also find us pretty active on our Facebook page, Twitter, and our WhatsApp group for Spanish-speaking families. And now you can leave us a voicemail. I want to hear your voice. I hear my voice far too often, and I would love to hear yours. So leave us a voicemail on our podcast homepage. Finally, if you have not done so already, you've got to consider subscribing because I'm telling you, the weekly gems are pretty fun. So if the spirit moves you, go ahead in there, subscribe and leave us some feedback. It totally means a lot. Until next time, my parents, stay informed, stay well read and stay up. See you next week.